Hello and welcome to the A-Form Show, the premier podcast for all things architecture and design across the MENA region. Welcome to your tribe. Today's episode is supported by Skystruct, the groundbreaking construction and project management solution that's absolutely turning heads in the industry. They are bringing together architects, engineers, project managers, procurement, and essentially any stakeholder onto one singular platform. Yes, clients are included. Skystruct is genuinely changing the game. Its tailored modules for construction management, inventory, labor, cost management helps streamline the chaos of construction projects. They are rolling out very soon in the buy, but you as a listener can get in early, drop us an email at hello at aform.studio and find out how Skystruct is the future and it is here today. Now, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we are joined by Monica Arango, founder of Say Isi Design. Originally a lawyer by profession, Monica is now known for her minimalist design approach with Say Isi. Needless to say, Monica comes with a unique portfolio of work spanning across the entire MENA region. It is truly a pleasure to have her on the show. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Monica. Hello. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. Awesome. (laughs) So to paint a picture for our listeners, we are at your residence, which I must say, as far as podcast venues goes, we've been doing this for a while. This has to be one of the prettiest places we have been. <laughs> it is it is awesome. And especially for me as a designer, I can almost start to pick out, I'm like, oh, I know where that is from. I know where that is from. I know it's, and, and it's brilliant. And I want to get to it later on. Uh, sure. But just as a starting point for our listeners, because I think a lot of them must have heard the fact that you were a lawyer before you became a designer. Mm. And I think a lot of them will want to know, what was that like? How did that even happen? So if you can walk us through that. Sure. Um, well, the famous transition, I think that has been the question in the industry for a while. I mean, to be honest with you, when you talk about transitions, is never a decision that you take from day to night. Yes. It's an involvement of life, I think. And I think for myself, super grateful to have studied law, to have practiced law. In fact, for me, it was not an easy kind of road. I mean, I'm Colombian, uh, learning English, applying for these universities. So it was definitely, definitely a challenge. And when I did it and I finally qualified, I decided to exit the industry. And that was an evolution of my life. So what happened was that as, as I became a mother, my priorities kind of changed. From my background, my family is within the industry, especially my mom. And I've always been familiar with that creative aspect. Back in the day when you were going to, I don't know, decide what to study, I think that it's a challenge to say, oh, I want to be an interior designer rather than a lawyer. So I think that that kind of question from from my side, from, from my family kind of angle, it was uh, difficult. So I kind of never pursued it. So I left it like that. And then through my through my motherhood, through my evolution of, of my life, I've kind of decided to shift in a very organic way. So I, I think that there was definitely a tipping point where it was through a personal project. And basically it was through a property that we have in France, in the south of France. And we decided to take it forward. So I did all the design, the FFNE selection and all of that. And when, when I developed the project and, and we came into the installation of the whole thing, then I realized that maybe there was something here. But back then, the thing is that when you have done something for a very long time, it's very difficult to believe that you're able to do something else. 
So I, my transition was not automatic, I have to say. Um, I stayed in my job for a while and my first clients were my colleagues. <laughs> so I did. As it happens, as it happens. Yeah. I know. So I did a trial out with them. It was obviously working for free. And then that period gave me really the opportunity to begin. Hmm. It's not that you're going to be good or bad because honestly, you don't know where your road is going to go. But at least that gave me like a step to begin what I wanted to do. And this is when I, 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 I transitioned to, to interior design. So it was not a decision from day to night. I got the idea from a project in the south of France. Right. And then after that, I, it was an evolution of that to yeah. what it was. And then after, I think, seven months, I incorporated a company legally. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners who maybe are already in design, for example, but maybe want to make a transition. Maybe they're doing lighting, but want to do interiors or they're in landscape, want to do interiors. I know that you mentioned that it wasn't overnight and that it took time. But if you could tell them words of advice, how would they even go about getting a client? Should they maybe look at their own network, perhaps? Or how would they go about that? So that's a very good question, actually. I've been asked that quite a lot. How do you get your clients? How do you get your work seen? My answer to that is honestly, when you start something out of passion, like pure passion, you set aside your ego. You mm. set aside, oh, my design is amazing. No, but you actually, when, when you are creating, you are really creating with an incentive and with a motive. Your work will speak for yourself. Mm. And then, I mean, we are in an amazing country uh, where it's, it's big, but it's not that big. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so word of mouth here is quite strong. If you focus on being original, that's hmm. my first advice. I hmm. mean, there is a lot of social media now. We have Pinterest. There is very, it's very easy to go with that avenue. Hmm. But if you start focusing on, you know, like that creative part and that originality, and then your work would speak for yourself. And, and this is, I think, what happened a little bit with CTC. To be fair, when I started, my intention was like, oh, how many clients am I going to get? Mm. My intention was like, I'm just have one client and I'm going to be the best job that I can with one little client that is paying mm. me almost nothing. <laughs> mm. So that's the angle that I always advise people, either building their own businesses, whatever is interiors and anything else is like, be humble, set aside your ego, begin. And also actually a very good advice is Forget who you were before. Oh, mm. I was, I was earning, I was this, I was that. No, now you have transitioned. You've started from zero, start from zero, from zero. Mm. So, so I think that's, that's kind of what I think. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> A very practical approach and one which I think if you go down, um, I don't see why you wouldn't be successful if if that's the kind of approach that you're taking it yeah you know, makes a lot of sense another question that i want to ask you is something which a lot of you know a lot of designers struggle with it even people who've been in the industry forever for example is that how do you establish your taste or what you like because i get the impression especially for something like interiors which is you know so fast moving and there's always you know something new and a new trend or something which is you know kind of taking over the industry. How do you establish, for example, with say a C, a design style? I mean, looking at where we are, I can tell that, you know, you're definitely a minimalist to some extent. Um, but, with warmth. <laughs> but 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 how do you establish that? I mean, how 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 did you realize that, yeah, this, this is what is I the like. Direction. Yeah. Well, 
this is true. I think that CTC has a, a specific aesthetic and then it's nice to see when people see our work, they can always say, oh, this was done by CTC. It's nice to have that recognition and you have kind of a trademark. That said, I must say that what we really focus when it comes to especially residential clients and even commercial, we, we do more residential than commercial, but is that we focus on on the, the experience and the feeling that the design creates on you. So we really have quite a, a thorough discovery period with our clients, hmm. search their DNA, search, uh, inquire about their lifestyle, incorporate all of these elements in the design, and then we'll have an element of CTC. And this is where the design becomes unique. So while our clients will have that CTC aesthetic, for sure there is a stamp on it. Each of our designs is so different. Mm. It's so different. I mean, I have a rule with my team. We don't repeat furniture. We don't repeat colors. We don't everything that when I receive a design for revision and I see something that is slightly similar to another project, I'm like, be creative. We've done that before. Mm. So I think that in terms of CTC, how did we get to the style? I think... Yes, you're right. I, I I do like minimalism. I think that uh, I like circulation. I like space. Mm. But I also like for the interiors to have that element of experience mm. and to maximize every single space mm. in, in a villa or in a residential project or whatnot. Mm. I think that often people focus on filling up spaces and make mm. them this or that or following trends or following what is the trendiest chair or whatnot. I think... All in all, when it comes to style, it needs to have, number one, obviously your signature, but it also needs to have a sense of reality, right? Like mm. you need to live in this place. You need, it needs to, you need to feel something. And, and I think that's what design is, is now focusing a lot on, on that experience, on that, how does this place make you feel? Like from a hospitality and FMB kind of angle is the same. You go mm. back to restaurants or you go back to hotels because you love how you feel in them. Correct. And this is exactly what we want to create also on, on the residential angle. So I think that it's nice to have a signature style and aesthetic, but I don't like to be married to that. Hmm. So we often integrate our clients in our team. We became quite close, so they become part of our team. And, and there is a lot of variations in the design process that, that you start with an idea and then that idea becomes something completely different hmm. because it has influenced by the client, by your selections, by the evolution. How many times have I changed things from the beginning to the end? Because I just feel like, you know what, this does actually look very good now. Let's yeah. change it. So I think that that's kind of how would I define um that the, the, the style of a company or the style of an interior designer doesn't need to marry to a specific. You you must have a trademark, hmm. but I don't feel that you cannot evolve from that. Interesting. Or, or, or change or, you know. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I agree because I, I, as an architect, happen to be in the same space. We also do a lot of residential design. And I wanted to then ask you, because you're in that similar space, I get the impression that a lot of clients now, both, if I were to say sort of mid to high end residential projects, do you get the impression that clients are a lot more aware and a lot more smarter and a lot more informed in their decisions now as compared to maybe, you know, 
pre-pandemic, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in fact, I have clients that are in the industry. <laughs> so, so now we're working with actually an architect. She's a local lady with her husband and, and it's fascinating. I love to work with these kind of clients because they exactly know where we're coming from. Mm. But on the other angle where you were saying, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, we live in an era where everything is available. Mm. All the information is out there. When it comes to AutoCAD, you're shocked how some of the clients read very well drawings. They have input on contractors. They have input on suppliers. They will advise you on your FFNE selection. They will be aware that this brand is cheaper in Europe while we were sourcing from Dubai. So I think that this is very important. I mean, I kind of like that because in a way, you don't need to educate them through, you know, your design on the industry. But also this this allows designers to be very transparent from Mm. the beginning because now the clients can get the information from everywhere. And when you start a project or a design, you you really need to be upfront with everything from Mm. the beginning because they are aware. And it's just that availability of information everywhere. Correct. Through social media, through platforms, through... Through, through all the mediums that we have today. I mean, it's so easy to get so much information. True, true, true. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense and it does, it does make life a lot easier. I agree. I think there's some designers that might say, we wish they didn't know so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I guess... Leave it to the experts. Uh, leave yeah? it to the experts. Yeah, yeah. Something else that I want to get your, your opinion about is a term that I recently came across which I think is quite interesting. I was recently told about quiet luxury. Mm-hmm. And the the logic behind this is that, you know, typically, you know, I mean, like I don't take names, but you have branded residences wherein, yeah. you know, it's all about, you know, you know, plastering a logo somewhere and, yeah. you know, wearing clothes which have, you know, a big statement piece or something like that. Wherein now luxury is being defined by things which are a lot more, calmer a lot more quieter you know like a 400 dollars black t-shirt is better than you know a branded something that you would wear and i'm seeing this being translated to both architecture and interior design wherein this quiet sort of muted calm is now the new luxury do you agree yes (laughs) (laughs) i think that's pretty much cdc and how we like to design Uh, i do believe even when i compare to fashion for example if you go to any brand I will often pick the piece that is obviously a branded piece, but the logo is is not there. Yes. Because it's unknown, right? Yes. There is no such a beautiful thing that you, when you enter a project, either residential, commercial, and you see the luxury of it, but you cannot pin your finger in what is it that it makes it so luxurious because the brands are not so obvious. Right. And this is a really nice, interesting approach because then you are kind of, not angling to the pretentious show off, showcasing, let's Instagram this, this is beautiful, but your angle goes more to the experience. Mm. How do you feel in this space? Mm. I feel calm. I feel happy. I feel like I want to come back. I feel tranquil. I love the smell. Mm. I feel like I want to chat here forever. This is it. And this is, I think, a post-COVID syndrome, I always say. Mm. I think that I think that because we were all secluded for a while. I mean, Dubai was amazing. We were not really secluded, but the That's world the world was. And then they start to experience it more and more time indoors. 
in their own spaces and they started to see what actually makes them happy. It's not about abundance. It's not about your branded chair. It's not about this and that, but it's the composition of everything. And how do you feel in the space? Mm. So for me, that's definitely that luxurious kind of silent, luxurious part. And I think that now the high end brands that we see from the design angle, they're focusing on that angle. Mm. That you can see now, like if I top of my head, like all the Scandinavian brands, well, it's, they're obviously many, minimal, but they're yeah. all driven to that luxury, silent angle. The Italian brands as well, they're they're less populated with Rococo or hmm. Goldish side or whatnot. So I think that there is definitely that. I do like to mix and match. <laughs> so it's not all about that whitish effect and everything is calm. I, I like to shock the interior with something completely unexpected mm. at the last minute. Uh, <laughs> and it's nice to have that. But yeah, definitely, I, I agree with you. I think that that's, that's I, I love I love the angle of that sang, uh, silent kind of luxurious look and feel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Agreed completely. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the same ship, the same boat. Nice that we're both in the same shot. <laughs> <laughs> I then I then want to ask, of course, about, you know, where we are at the moment. I think if you ask any designer, maybe an architect as well, as an architect, I tend to think like an architect, obviously, and working on your own residence, to me, I cannot think of a more complicated project. <laughs> and I think most designers would agree that it's something you can work on forever yes. um, and never be happy with, even never. if it's completed. So I want to ask you, what was your journey working on your own residence? What was yeah. that journey like? Oh, my God. It's a good question. <laughs> it's an ongoing question. <laughs> it's never complete. It's never complete. Um, well, so actually, um, we have been in our home for the last two years, almost three years now. And I took my project um, my residential own project as, 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 as an actual project. So when it comes to the design process and all of that, it was exactly the same as I did with any other projects. I did have a secret folder called mm. my dream house. Mm. <laughs> and I've developed this dream house for years. Uh, just every single angle that I wanted to do, how I wanted to feel again with that experimental kind of design, how I wanted the, my kids' room how I wanted everything to be. When we moved in, we didn't have the budget to do everything. Mm. So we started with the essentials and with priorities. And then all along our journey, we have developed uh, my, my dream home folder has been developed through stages, which is okay with me, with my husband, with my kids. And it's been a nice journey because it has not been pushed by anything. So mm. we do it when it's the right time. And, you know, so... So, so, so it's been a nice process because I have not been rushed. I think that we're creating also our home for us. Not the angle is not to show up or not, you know, it's, True. it's for us. So we, our process has been like, you know, so we just redid the kitchen, for example. Then I think in before December, we did this side of the house, the dining where we're sitting now. And so everything that has come at its own time, mm. um, for example, I wanted these casino chairs for a long time. I waited. <laughs> <laughs> they are beautiful chairs. They yeah, are beautiful they, they chairs. chairs. So this is it. And I, and this is one thing that I often uh, advise our clients, you know, they get sometimes a little bit stressed out with the budget and they yeah. want to do all at once and whatnot. That's the ideal world. But if you, if you, if you don't want to do it through it, you can do it through a process. Mm. And in terms of the design journey, as I told you, I, I am a little bit structured, unfortunately. That 
corporate. But that's a good thing. Lawyer, lawyer, lawyer side, <laughs> lawyer side has been, and then my team sometimes is like, why do we need to write like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's very formal. Right. But you know, through the project of, of my home, we did actually a, a design concept proposal. We developed it. The house was rendered. I had a contractor. I had my right-hand carpenter that's been working with us for a long time. So it was not just like, because it's my home, I'm just going to do it the flop way. Yeah. I actually did it the way that we developed all the other projects. And then obviously I had the amazing input of my team. <laughs> team, if you're listening, pat yourself on the shoulder. You've done a very good job. <laughs> team, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I sort of take a very similar approach to my residence too. It's uh, what I'd like to call, again, another concept I was introduced to. I want to say it's wabi-sabi, wabi-sabi, something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, essentially meaning that it's never really complete. That, yeah. there's, that there's always something yeah. sort of changing. Yeah which is interesting. Switching gears then very quickly, you touched upon something which I've been dying to ask you ever since ask I found me. out. Ask me. <laughs> uh, found out about your journey, obviously the fact that you were a lawyer before you became a designer. And you just touched upon it now in terms of even communication with your team being a certain way because of how you probably see your copy and so on. As designers, obviously, our industry contractually not the best. <laughs> many loopholes for, unfortunately, both designers and for clients. Yeah. Um, and many times things don't work out the way that they're supposed yeah. to. So for designers listening who are thinking about how they write their contracts, how they structure things yeah. and so on, if you could give them advice, what would you tell them? What, what, what do you think they should probably look at and think about? Yeah, it's a good question, guys. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that's one thing that I'm super grateful, obviously, of my journey uh, when I was studying law, when I was practicing within the industry as well. Actually, I have to say that the contracts of the DC were drafted by my ex-boss, <laughs> the employment contracts and also the, the contract, obviously, agreements with our clients. So I'm going to give you three very good tips. Okay. I think that let's talk about templates. So I know designers being designers, <laughs> they're not very corporate or, or commercial in that side, especially when, when one is a small company or they don't have kind of that corporate angle, you guys tend to have like one template contract for all your projects. Yes. And you tend to apply that through all your projects. My advice today to this is like, actually guys, you should have obviously a general template contract, but it needs to be customized per project because the scope is so different. The terms can be so different. You can negotiate with your client in a different way because obviously some projects are more demanding than others. And it's just your negotiation incorporated in the contract that will make a difference and a good impact. Mm -hmm. If you tend to use this template all along your projects is not going to be that customized it's going to be very like a very general one and yeah. then it's not going to protect you so really look into your scope of work and your new projects and yes obviously use the template you're not going to create a new contract for everything but really implement clauses or terms and conditions that will really apply to that specific project mm. so so i think that that's one advice that that that, that i was given actually and and, and i apply it quite often <laughs> mm. my second advice is the time frame oh my god so i think that designers architects contractors this is the loophole where we have conflict with our clients expectations yes. 
And I think that this is something that can be implemented really nicely in contracts. So more often than not, believe it or not, the delay sometimes happens because maybe the client has not made the decision. Mm. Maybe we're waiting for the feedback. Maybe they saw the design concept proposal and they waited three, four weeks. And then your final uh, concept is completely scheduled, is all of that. So I think that expectations from also the client are very important to cooperate in contracts. So consider those things. Um, for example, time stimulated for, from the feedback of the client. Mm. If it's delayed, don't stick to a specific time frame. I mm. mean, obviously, all of us, we have these schedules that we produce, these beautiful Excel sheets that are sent to the client. But I think that on those, have flexibility in terms like these comply only if the feedback is given within, I don't know how many weeks. Right. So then you're not tied up. And then then the clients will come, oh, we are delayed in the project. I'm like, yeah, but you took maybe five, six weeks to take your decisions. Correct. So this is the part where you really need to focus and be transparent from the beginning. Hmm. And once you allow this kind of uh, conversation with the client and expectations, then they know, oh, okay. So the, 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 the most important part is that the, the communication part from the beginning and then incorporate some sort of terms, Yes. not marrying to your kind of data that you put on it so you can protect yourself as designers or architects or whatnot. Right, right. And I said I was going to say three. <laughs> I yes. don't know. I forgot <laughs> about the third. So, no, I think that generally, I think that timing is a, 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 a very important one. And then client expectations generally. I think mm. that that's something that can be throughout the contract. I think that, you know, there are many, many loopholes within 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 a project. And, and when you, it's that part when you don't manage contractually the expectations, that's when you have your your look for and, and as a general advice is that do pay attention at your contracts because they are going to protect you they're also going to protect, protect you against uh, like third parties contractors any other suppliers so oh. so i think that focus on that and do pay attention of it because it's 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 a nice way to protect yourselves right through any kind of future dispute or 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 it will uh, avoid any kind of you know conflict yeah yeah, yeah. No, I think I think if you view it more as that, because I think a lot of designers, and again, I can speak for myself and maybe a few others, contracts are typically quite, either they're just intimidating and, oh, I just don't want to deal with it or whatever it is, or they're just, I, I don't... I don't understand this. I'm a designer. You know, I should be focused yeah. on design. You know, somebody else should be doing this. I don't want to do this. And that's typically the approach that comes towards most things business, not even just yeah. contracts. Which which is unfortunate because it's it's one of those things that if you actually focus and get right, yeah. it actually allows you to be a better designer. It yeah. gives you more time, gives you more yeah. flexibility, like you said. Yeah, completely agree. Thank you so yeah. much. But for that also, my also advice is like, you don't need to know this. Just hire professionals. There is a lot of bread and butter, as we call them, lawyers that they would just draft you a template that's going to be used in through all your projects and all of that. And that will give you can get advice on how can you flip them around or how can you amend them through the different kind of projects. Mm. But that's my other advice. Just obviously go to the experts because you're not supposed to know this. Yes. Yeah. And I think I, I mean, I would just want to add a point and please, you know, clarify me if I'm wrong. I'd like to tell people that if you're going to work on projects of a certain value, I mean, most projects that anyone works on in this field at least six figures, if not more, in some architecture projects, even touching, you know, in the millions of the rooms, for yeah. example, getting feedback from a lawyer, the cost that you would pay, for example, getting feedback on a contract 
less than 1%, 2% of your overall project value. Mm. Uh, and people generally don't think of it that way. They think that, oh, but that's just an additional cost, which I can probably save and I don't mm. need to do that. And maybe you don't for every project, but I think like you said, especially for establishing your yeah. main contract, yeah. that investment, I think is definitely worth it yeah. in the long run. Yeah. This is this is where you kind of need to think a little bit long term. Hmm. Uh, but that definitely another thing that when it comes to obviously contractor is also the scope. If you're gonna do something super mega small, yeah. I don't think that you need a contract for that. True, true, true. <laughs> you know, it's all depending That's a on yeah. <laughs> He's like, Well, yeah, when are we gonna kick off? <laughs> no, but it's obviously the large projects that you really need to look into it and pay attention and just protect yourself. I mean, you know, nothing that's nothing bad is gonna happen, but it's important to have that protection. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's 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 good practice. It's to a have. safe exactly. Yeah. And it should be applied. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So another question I want to ask you, again, this is something which, again, a lot of designers struggle with and something which I struggle with also from time to time, which is technical knowledge, right? Many times I get confronted by engineers who tell me, oh, but we can't do this. And oh, those duct sizes can't change or oh, those column yeah. sizes can't change, et cetera, et cetera. And oh, obviously now that I've been in the industry for a while, I can kind of be like, no, yeah. not really. It actually can. And you actually can do this and so on and so yeah. forth. But that obviously comes with a experience or if yeah. you've learned it or something like that. In your case, I want to know what was that journey like? Did you actually have to pick all this up? Oh my God, that's such a good question. <laughs> You're talking to the non-technical now, <laughs> a little bit technical person. <laughs> of course, I didn't know anything. Nothing, nothing, of course. It's, it was not my background. It's not that. There is three things that I always say when it comes to the technical side of things and technical drawings and shop drawings. So of course I've learned with a job hmm. and that's, that's something that it doesn't happen again from day to night. It's, it's something that kind of progresses on you when you, from one planet to another, you, you, you learn more and more and more. But on that angle, what I did is that I surrounded myself with professionals to hmm. people that know their job inside out, because hmm. I think that my skill set well, I can read tech drawings, but I can read shop drawings, but I can advise when it, we come to schematic spaces and all of that. I can sit with an architect and we can have a chat. But I don't consider myself that I'm the most technical person. So I always have my tech guy next to me. We make sure that everything is in line. And then again, interior designers, though obviously they need to know their technical angle, hmm. but at the same time, you, when you are within a, a residential project and you have the structural part of that, you have many members in that team that need to contribute to it before you even start schematic layouts, demolition plans, and all of that. And this is this is why it's we often call them like we do workshops. Hmm. We come with the contractor, with the engineer, we show them our design. Can we do this? Why not? Of course, now we are a little bit more aware of what we can do, what we cannot do. But I think that uh, the skill sets is the skill set and the people that are only solely dedicated to that. And, and that should be it. And then again, surround yourself with uh, the, the, that side of, 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 of the industry. And, and don't be scared of not knowing, hmm. right? Because I think that that's one of the main things that you were assumed to know absolutely everything or be on top of your game of everything. And I think... That in order for an interior design studio or company or whatnot, one of one of, of the things that I think that is very important is to divide those skill sets. Well, all of them are interior designers. Some of them are amazing at FFN selection. They specialize in that. 
other side is the technical side of it. Then you have your draftsman. Then you have your concept designers that are amazing creating concepts. And so if you have the bundle of all of them and you uni- unify them, then you're going to get something great. So yeah, it's just identifying the skill set and whatnot. And, and when it comes to to the technical side of things, I think that you also need to be honest with yourself mm. and know what you don't know and ask the, be surrounded by the best people. And I think that I, I actually took that advice from, I follow a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> and big uh, owners of brands and whatnot. And there was a, there was a very interesting documentary uh, by Ralph Lauren. And so Ralph Lauren, by the way, was not a designer. Mm. <laughs> and one of the things that he was telling, like in his documentary was that he was very poorly educated on the financial side, on that accounting angle and all of that. And in my case, that was my main concern mm. with CTC. Like, obviously I knew the PNL kind of basics and, you know, but I'm not an accountant and I do not like numbers. So I was a little bit freaked out at some point. And, and one thing that he said was like, the moment that you identify what you're really not good at, mm. hire the best and surround yourself with the best. Mm. And then you overcome all those steps. And then it's nice that you can also learn in the journey and all of that. So that's my view on your technical question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, um, definitely the the right way to go. Um, I find myself leaning on suppliers even many times who are a lot more technical. I mean, for architecture, for example, you know, glazing, for example, is something which changes all the time and you know i think there's this illusion that most designers think that oh i should know this you know which yeah is 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 not the case which is which is good to hear from you as well yeah and this is also come back to being a little bit realistic of who you are and what you do and the moment that you express that i have often been in meetings with clients that put me on the stop and i actually say actually don't know the answer to that i'll get back to you and it's nice that when you recognize that and and you don't need to know it all and it's okay to question and it's okay to find advice from other people that are like on top of their game in that subject and Mm. and it's nice to be humble in that way you Mm. know yeah yeah i i I agree completely yeah. yeah yeah So we've obviously, you know, we've spoken about the technical side of things. Now the fun side, the design side of things, right? My thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you, as as we sort of, you know, wind down the episode almost, say Isi is relatively new. I mean, in, in, yeah. in the large scale of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, you know, you're off to a flying start. Clearly, you know, you're doing some really good work. <laughs> Thank what's, you. What's... What's the what's the future of the brand? I mean, what do you what do you want to be doing? What are you working towards? <gasps> I need to talk to my accountant. <laughs> no, 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 no. Q3 says <laughs> this and Q4 says that. <laughs> no. I think that look, that's uh, that's actually a question that a lot of people ask me. Um I think that one of the things that I love about CTC is that it's also a lifestyle for my life, right? So mm. I've created the company in a way to design a little bit of how I live and the person that I want to be. And and I'm a mother mm. at the end of the day. So as much as I want to grow the company and, and amazing opportunities that come all along, I'm, I'm very realistic about my reality mm. and my priorities. Mm. So that plays a big angle in terms of uh, how fast I'm going to grow. Mm. And I'm really taking one step at a time 
I think that now CTC has turned into the point where we are taking really interesting residential projects, more long-term, more of a bigger scale. Hmm. Um, so I think that what, what I wanted to focus, especially in 2023, was really uh, focusing on my team, making it as strong as we can, educating hmm. them, learning through the process, and focus on that growth hmm. instead of growing the, the hiring more people and getting more projects uh, because I do believe that the better we get, the, getter, the better we can deliver and then we can allow ourselves to expand a little bit. So I am, I am working on a secret project that I cannot reveal sure. and I'm super excited about uh, because it's something that we wanted to do for a very long time and I think that now is obviously the right time. Something that we've been doing only for clients, but I think that CTC is ready. Once when I can, when I'm able to reveal, then I sure. will. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, and then another angle that we like to explore is like projects within the industry. So aside from uh, from our residential and commercial projects, we are also excited to work with, for example, recently we worked with our Dubai. So those little projects or Dubai Design Week, we've done some mm. work with them. So these projects, I always like them because they really make my team happy. It's a really nice way to distract yourself from that day-to-day, -day, mm. you know, typical project or design or whatever they are into and then they they have the opportunity to create something absolutely different or an installation or or a you know or a prototype or whatnot yeah and that that is a really nice way to exercise that creative and the creativity and that makes them happy hmm. so more often than not i do take these projects and and it's a nice it's a nice like uh way to distract a little bit that creative part from my team so i think that yeah the future of ctc is that we are uh working hard <laughs> we're growing slowly um we're working on very exciting residential projects but definitely focus on the quality rather than the quantity in terms of mm. my team. I'm not planning to grow the team much this year and really focus on, on what we have now and, and really develop that, which, which is nice. I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm very happy with my team. Team, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And, and thank you for listening this far. I mean, <laughs> I talk too much. <laughs> um, I I almost want to ask an, a follow up question, which I don't ask a lot of designers because I get the impression that it's not occurred to them yet. But I feel like with you, maybe this is something you've thought about, and you can feel free not to answer. Okay. You know, if you look at other businesses, if you look at tech, for example, businesses are sort of built to eventually be acquired. That's, yeah. that's kind of their model. Yeah. With designers, very yeah. rarely do you hear that happening. Yeah. Uh, and most designers don't even think with that business model. Yeah. They kind of think that, yeah, this is, you know, this is my, this is my studio. This is yeah. my brand. This is almost a part of me. Yeah. And I will forever be, you know, involved with this. And, and that's that. I want to know what your thoughts are. I mean, obviously not with, not with CAC per se, but with designers, do you think that's a right approach should designers be thinking more about you know a decision I, yeah a decision that you know maybe i don't need to be involved with this mm. eventually maybe yes i can build a brand and build a team and if that needs to be acquired by another company so be it i'm not you know that won't make me sad <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on it 
Another very good question. <laughs> Absolutely, it has crossed my mind. In fact, I think that the beginning of, of CTC was very personalized. It was very like money and, you know, and this is where you're very far from that acquisition part or where you're going to be one day bought from another company. It's a tricky situation because more often than not, interior design studios are driven by an individual, right? Mm, so yes. I think that the approach is how do you distance yourself yeah. from the identity of the brand? Exactly. So the brand becomes the brand and then you can be bought by Correct. either an architectural firm or a bigger interior design firm. But you've seen in the industry, I'm talking about Dubai or maybe if we're talking globally, I think that one of the most important things that you need to focus if you're thinking of your company to be bought off is to build your team so strong that they can work without you. Hmm. And if you can show that to your potential buyers and you can show your numbers, then there is an opportunity for you to sell your company. It's just how strong your team is and how can they really detach from that identity of that individual that she's the one that does it all. Mm. And to be fair, that was the position of CDC for a couple of years, but my main aim was to change that. Mm. Not because I want to sell CDC or whatnot, but because I wanted to detach on a lot of other responsibilities that I didn't want to deal with. I started to delegate that one more. And even from a interior design angle, and this is one of the things that some of the interior designers that work with our company tell me, is that when they feel that they work in CTC, they feel that they're more involved, that their creative sense matters, that their concepts are actually incorporated, rather than a big firm that, Basically, you start from zero and then to get into that, for your idea to get into the design, it will take a very long road. <laughs> true, 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 true. So I think that once you build a team with that kind of mindset that they can do it and it mm. doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. Yep. And this is the thing that I believe because uh, look, my team, is, it's, it's a young team. Mm. But uh, where we are now, I, I was, I'm shocked of how much they have evolved and how much have they improved and how they're managing projects by themselves. I mean, in fact, yesterday was the first design concept proposal in seven years that I didn't touch. <laughs> wow, that's a big milestone. I know. And then I sent a huge email saying like, it's the first one in seven years. It's been the first one when I didn't even change a coma. <laughs> wow. And this shows a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, on the one hand, awesome. And again, team, if you're listening, congratulations. That <laughs> I is, think my team should be in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a very big achievement, but for multiple reasons, right? Because I think a lot of designers, especially, you know, smaller firms that start off with one designer, for example, or even if, you know, there is a lead design, I think it's very, the thought of that, it's, it's this weird thing, right? Like, I mean, on the one hand, it sounds awesome because, you know, you don't have to be that involved. But then on the other hand, I can see why for some designers that's very scary as well because they're like, but if, you know, that can happen, then what am I doing? You know, what, you know, where do I fit into everything if the entire team can work without my input? And I think, I think that's brilliant if you can reach that place because then you can realize maybe something else. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's where we wanted to be. I I love I love incorporating their ideas also in the concept. And then again, we go back to the ego. Hmm. It's not about me. 
Mm. It's not about, oh, it's because I touch this design is amazing. I mean, our designs is honestly a contribution of absolutely everyone, including our clients mm. that often have amazing ideas that come into place. So I think that's amazing. And the most important thing is that that makes your employee on another level of ownership to the company. They do feel valued. They do feel that what they produce is going to be the end result. And mm. they're, they're, I mean, it's a really nice... Uh, I think way to 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 see your creative part being actually part of an amazing project and and the end result of something without me mocking and yeah 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 yeah, yeah. revising so much <laughs> and 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 what's more most important again this is something which 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 I see happening with a lot of firms that started with small teams and have now become bigger is that it's very difficult to scale because yeah. of that one designer which which again when you started was actually the good thing about it that there was yeah. you know this one designer that yeah. designed everything but that's not scalable because eventually you know your projects increase the yeah, scope increases exactly. and and you can't rely on that no. one person you so know? this is exactly what I, what I actually wanted to be if we wanted to get more projects i wanted each of them to be super strong yeah so they didn't need me to be on top of their game 100 percent yeah. I'm 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 the creative director, so to be honest with you, I am still involved in every single design, hmm. and I have my input, and and we go through workshops and all of that. Because to be honest with you, that's the part that I love, hmm. yeah. and I don't want to yeah. stop that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that, but yeah, I think that that's a, it's an amazing thing that happened yesterday. It shocked me, and it shocked them as well. No, no, it <laughs> they is. They were like, "What do you mean? You didn't attach the draft?" <laughs> I'm like, "I didn't need to attach it." <laughs> It's good to go. <laughs> that is, that is, I'm, I'm very happy for you because I know how, how difficult that is to get to that point. So congratulations. That's a big, Thank you, that's a big, big, big achievement. Um, kind of as we end the episode now, we have a closing tradition, which you touched upon before we recorded. Don't be nervous. Um, the tradition is that we ask our guests that have been on the show and we'll ask you eventually as well for a question for the following guest okay. uh, and typically they don't know obviously who the next guest is so it's okay. a completely blind question okay. they don't know who it's going to nice. and uh, we have a question for you today are you ready i'm ready all right <laughs> so the oh it's a fairly fairly straightforward question okay i'm not that nervous anymore <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is the advice that you would give to your younger self? If you could go back to Monica when she was 15, 16, what would you tell her? I think I will tell her, follow your passion. Okay. Do not fall for what do you think or what other things is good for you. Follow your heart as well. I think that more often than not, when you're young, especially when you go to university, you're like 17, 18, you are thrown into this big pool of decisions <laughs> and you're so young and you don't know. Yep. So I think that what I will tell myself is enjoy the journey. Mm. It goes fast. Don't rush your life. The decisions that you make, do not base them on that what is everyone studying or what is going to give you money or, 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 you know, all of these things. I think that, that, that's a little bit what happened to me, uh, with my career. Um, I think that unfortunately I didn't have the passion or I, I didn't have the opportunity to pursue my passion. Mm. 
because I was in a very squared kind of way of thinking that my parents are lawyers. You need to be a lawyer. This is what is good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, so that's that. And then, then the other thing is like, yeah, follow your heart. I mean, I read the other day a quote, which was very, very interesting about one of the most important things is, is that right? Your priorities and your, you know, your in every single decision. And, and I think that will be the advice to my younger self. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Monica, I cannot thank you enough for your time. This has been quite learning for me. It's Hi, always Alan. It was so nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's always good to talk to designers who, you know, maybe come from a different background because yeah. it, you know, just opens up my mind as well to, you know, thinking in a different way. And of course, you know, the show would not be possible without, you know, designers like yourself being yeah. part of it. So on behalf of the team, thank you so much for your time. And we definitely look forward to having you on in the future. I know. Thank you, guys. And I love what you're doing. I think it's awesome. Um, I love podcasts. And obviously, having a podcast for interiors and architecture is just amazing. So great. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. And for the rest of you guys, we will catch you guys next week. Fellow A-former, thank you so much for your time. If this episode added any value to you, please share it with anyone who may benefit. If you want to carry on the discussion, please get in touch with us over socials. We are at A-form show on the gram and hello at aform.studio on email. That is at A-form show on the gram and hello at aform.studio on email. Until next time, stay inspired.